Welcome back to the flip side, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Galen Quavio. Brian Moritz back with me here on the podcast. And we were just talking leading into break, Brian, about you know how we've kind of we've been around long enough now that I feel like we're no longer just a flash in the pan. We're not like one of those podcasts that just appears for a couple episodes and then goes away. Right. We were debating, you know, okay, what have we lasted longer than? And I said We've lasted longer than Cop Rock, and you said no. I was there for a full season. As I look at so, this, I, it's, I'm it, looking at it. Yeah. It went through eleven episodes. Eleven episodes. This is according to Wikipedia, which is never wrong. Never. Um, so yeah, so I'm looking. I'm, I'm trying to find TV shows camp that did not last five episodes. Because um, you know, since this is number six, the Magic uh, Johnson show. Magic Johnson show. Wow. All right. Yeah, or it, this is Chevy this, Chase's talk show. I don't know. <laughs> Um, I don't know if we want to be mixed in with those. Let's see. Canceled after two episodes. Anchor Woman on Fox in 2007. The Hasselhoff's A&E reality show. Right. Uh, let's see what else we have. Anything good? Um, well, no, of course, nothing good was canceled this early. No. Um, so Osborne's Reloaded. We lasted longer than Osborne's Reloaded. Wow. So we got that going for us, which wow. is I'll take I'll take whatever we can get I guess with that. Um I don't know, you know, it's uh we 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 are we're hoping at some point here soon to be on the old iTunes, you know, cuz that's mm-hmm. that's where the kids want you the podcast to be. Right. Say, I'm debating right now. So I I um I'm not satisfied with my phone right now. I've okay. got a, I've got a, a Note 4 and it just isn't working for me. The, 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 it's like the, the, the hardware can't match up with the software anymore and it's just been kind of a pain. And so I'm okay. debating what to do. So I was thinking, <laughs> I used, I had an iPhone 4 like way back in the day and it was okay, but it was too small for me to text on. Well, now we've got much bigger iPhones and right. I don't think that'd be a problem anymore. And so I was going to get an iPhone or an iPhone plus, but then did you see the announcement yesterday about the Galaxy 7? I did not, no. So so the new Samsung Galaxy is coming out, and that and the Galaxy Edge. And what they've said is that if you pre-order it between, like, n- tomorrow and, like, March 11th, you get a free Samsung Gear VR uh, headset, like one of those virtual reality headsets. Like, they're just going to throw that in for free. Okay. That's got me thinking maybe I should do that instead. All right. Uh, so I'm really kind of split on this, and I'm not sure which direction to go with it. Yeah, it's funny. My my wife and I are we are an Apple house through and through. We have Apple stuff, Apple laptops, Apple TV, the the iPhone, iPad, uh, the whole nine yards. But lately, we've just become very sort of dissatisfied with a lot of Apple stuff. It doesn't. It's it's not as fun to use as it used to be. It doesn't seem like it works as flawlessly as I feel it did in previous iterations. Again, right. I might be looking back on it, um, but you know, it, it, it's weird. We we were we had some friends in town over the weekend, and uh, we were talking and friends who are as Apple people as we are, and he has the new Microsoft. Uh, the new Microsoft Watch. The kind of like common. Basically, it's like a combination. It's Somewhere between a Fitbit and a and an Apple Watch, I forget what it's called. The Microsoft. I forget either, but I Watch. I know I I've heard of what you're talking about. And, and, and he was raving about it and said how it really worked well. And you know I've been looking at 
you know, the those Chromebooks, the Google Chromebooks, the cheap little $200 laptops that basically run Chrome and, and Google Drive. Right. And I'm like, you know, for that price, that's, you know, I'm thinking of being heretical and moving out, out of the Apple ecosystem just because it's just not, I don't know, it just doesn't have the same magic anymore. I don't know if even that's the right word, but it just doesn't have that kind of feel like flawless execution where everything felt like, it was good. And, you know, there's a lot of talk on Apple blogs on whether, you know, their hardware is still great, but the software integration isn't great. And is Apple trying to do too much? Are they spread too wide? Right. It's it's actually really kind of interesting to think about to see, you know, having been an Apple guy back in college in the 90s when Apple was like you didn't you couldn't bring that computer in here. You had to, like, have three different kinds of cords to use an Apple on a printer and to see it now be so dominant and so, like, everything kind of working together, it's kind of fascinating to see how that's that's evolved over the past 10 years or so. I'm actually, I'm glad I'm having this conversation with you because you seem like Apple's core demographic. Like, oh, really, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and take that in whatever spirit you want. But um, if you're having second thoughts about staying with the Apple ecosystem, that really, that really gives me pause about yeah. wanting. I mean, I mean, and, and I don't want to make you feel bad about it, but oh. it's like it's true. It's like you're not the only person I've heard that from. Where it's like, yeah, you know, the Apple stuff isn't. I'll say this though, it's like the things that you just described, your complaints about the the Apple ecosystem is kind of what I feel about the Samsung stuff. And I'm wondering yeah. if I'm wondering if almost we're unrealistically expecting things out of our our mobile devices whatever they happen to be maybe we're just being overly demanding maybe and you know i'm sure there's always a, a sense of the grass is always greener you know while you know all this apple stuff isn't working what i want man if i had a roku and and and, and, a, and a chromebook man it's so flawless so so easy and and cheap and you know it's easy to look on the other side and kind of see the the you know when you have a samsung and think you know you see, you know the problems you have with your own device, and you don't necessarily see the same problems with the other stuff. I just, you know, I'm getting to the point, maybe just with mobile devices, but with, you know, kind of the computer and the cloud in general. And I just want, like, Google, Amazon, and this is a pipe dream, of course, but Google, Amazon, and Apple to just, like, all come to an agreement and all stuff kind of works with each other. I and mean, generally it does, but, like, a lot of the big stuff where it just kind of, you know, the, the the swapping swapping would be easy. The changing would be easy. Um, and my real dream of, in, in computers, dream is a very loaded word there. But like, what I wish it was easier to do would be to try out other tech for like a short period of time. Right. Like to rent uh you know, let me have a Chrome rent a Chromebook for two weeks. Rent a, a Samsung for two weeks. You could rent an iPhone for two weeks. You know, long enough so you actually use it, so it's not just the toy and everything is cool or yeah. everything is weird, and actually give it a give it a real throw and kind of get a sense of whether it's you whether it's useful because the way the the way the the platforms are set up now, there's such kind of walled gardens that you have to go all in. Like if you if I were to switch if we were to switch to Android, I mean. That's that's everything. I mean, that's a whole digital well, life and, and we're switching I'll, over in a lot of ways. And a lot of that, I think, is on Apple. Like, I feel, <laughs> I, I feel like if I wanted to switch over to the iPhone tomorrow, that I could make a pretty easy transition. But you know, I've still got people who text me 
who first got my number when I had an iPhone 4, where I don't get their text because okay. it goes to my iPad that I got at the same time <laughs> rather than just porting over to my number because of the screwy way that Apple's iMessage system handles that stuff. And to me, that's a problem. And, and it's the one thing up until talking to you tonight that's really given me pause about going back into that ecosystem because, you know, I honestly <laughs> – so on my I I have a, a I I use gaming laptops you know they're like eighteen hundred dollar laptops and right. they frighten people when I pull them out of my bag <laughs> I think you've seen mine once before yes um and you know I haven't had a need to have iTunes on my computer. I refuse, I refuse to put it on my computer, and it's like I, you have to have that if you're going to get an Apple phone. And to me, that's just like not a price that I'm willing to pay. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's so it, it, it's one thing that actually makes me sad. I remember my first experience with iTunes. I had uh, a Mac, one of those old white Mac MacBooks uh, laptops that I had gotten when I was working at the Paper and Olean, right. and I remember. The first, and this was, I think this was before the iTunes store. It was definitely before the iPod. It was actually with the iPod, but I think it was before, it was definitely before the iTunes store. And just the ability to like make playlists and burn CDs on it. And the, the thing you can do when you can still do an iTunes where you're playing and you can like make the, uh, visualizer and it like does this like weird modern art thing that goes with the music. Right. It was the coolest thing. And I just thought, iTunes was the original, not, I don't know if original, but like that iteration of iTunes was such an important and awesome piece of software. It was, sure. you know, and now, and, I, and, I, and it I, hasn't changed in 12 oh, years. It actually has changed. Uh, no, that's not uh, true. Well, no, it's I mean, changed, it's changed so much. I logged on here because I was looking at, okay, you have to, to submit a podcast, which we might be doing. You have to go through iTunes store, which is through iTunes. And it, it's inscrutable trying to figure that trying trying to get around. That's somewhere. that's what I mean. Like I, I would argue that the skin has changed a lot, but the core functionality is pretty much the same, and it is so proprietary. Um, yeah. Like yeah. I, you know, I like, you know, I I, I like my iPod Classic. Uh, I still mm -hmm. have one. I'm one of the few people that still has. I, an I still have one too. Yeah. Yeah, but. But I hate the fact that I have to manage my songs through iTunes to get them onto the iPod Classic because there's no good way to jailbreak the iPod Classic. Right. And, you know, and, and so it's just, it's so clunky and it's so, it's, it requires you to do things a way that does, doesn't, and I guess that's what I mean. It's like, it requires you to do things in a way that don't fit how we do things now. It's very much yeah. built for, like, you know, a, a pre-Windows 7 world. Okay. I have not used Windows. We, I have not regularly used Windows in so long that um, and, and see, this I don't is, know where we're even on. Are we on 10 now? We're on – we're actually – yeah, we're on 10. And this is uh, maybe the difference. For me – as an as a as primarily, I mean, I've, I own a Mac. I use it mostly for music recording. But um, you know, I, my primary um, computers are all PCs. So to use iTunes in that environment is very restrictive. And right. you know, I feel like the infrastructure is grown up so much around it. And to me, it's all pretty much the same. Anyway, um, we didn't get to our beers yet. So no. what are what are you what are you drinking tonight? So I have um as featured last week in our in our in our in the podcast last week in our untapped right uh rundown. I have the uh Blood Orange LL from Great South Bay Brewery and uh they're from Long Island. 
Uh, absolutely fantastic beer. I've remedied the ranking. It's now at five stars as opposed to the 4.75 that I inexplicably ranked it before. Um, but that's what I'm going with. Highly recommended if you have access to the Great South Bay. It's a great craft brewery out of Long Island. Very, very good. About yourself. Yeah. Well, right now I'm having this, uh, the, the 8-bit pale ale, um, huh. from Tallgrass Brewing Company in Manhattan, Kansas. And All right. I love it mostly for the, the can, which you can, can hopefully see here. It's, yes. it's one of the greatest. That's the Pac-Man? It's the Pac-Man can. Nice. And it's yeah. the only reason, it's the, it's the only time I ever bought a beer just for the packaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's actually not a bad beer. I mean, they call it a pale ale. It's almost like a blonde ale. It's not much, okay. it's not very hoppy at all. It's very refreshing. And in a kind of an overhopped period of my life, it's nice to have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a little less hoppiness, at least every once in a while. It's funny you mentioned the blood orange. Uh, we have in the fridge some tangerine IPA Ooh. from, Green Flash Brewing Company in San Diego. That sounds fantastic. Well, you know what? I actually think it's pretty good. I didn't think it was particularly strongly flavored. However, my wife and my mother-in-law both disagreed and, and felt that it was too harsh, okay. um, uh, which is weird. Like I, because I drank one thinking it was going to be bitter based upon their uh, commentaries, and it wasn't bitter at all. It was like I could barely like there was a slight hint of tangerine in the flavor. So okay, different palates for different people, I guess. Yeah. But uh, anyway, um, we were going to talk about something other than the the strange conceptualization of iTunes and, and the Apple mm-hmm. infrastructure, uh, or beer for that matter. <laughs> and uh, you had brought up an interesting topic, which uh, kind of deals with the attitudes that we're seeing right now towards social media and I think Twitter in particular. Yeah. Um, so why don't you, like, you were the one that brought it up. So maybe give us a little bit of an overview of what you're talking about here. Sure. I mean, I've, I've noticed this recently. Um, a lot of people, and it's not new, but I don't know. It, it seems like it's coming up a lot lately. Um, and a lot of people seem to be quitting Twitter and quitting Twitter and being really loud about it. Um, let's see if I can find the, uh, the email, the, the links that I sent you. You know, you know. It, it, it's not a new thing. People, you know, un- taking a break, taking a, a digital detox or a social media break, or even, you know, people going, you know, writing a big piece about their, their, their year offline or their year away from social media. Those, those, those are always there, but it just seems to be a real kind of, uh, <coughs> excuse me, an influx of those lately. And so the two that I, the two that I had sent, the two that I had seen were, um, one of them was Stephen Fry, or this is related to Stephen Fry, who um, apparently told a. I, I missed the whole backstory, but apparently told a joke and offended some people, got blowback, and then decided to quit Twitter in a way. And then there were two writers uh, for New York Magazine who um, who who, had, who both gave up, who both quit Twitter, and they did a big back and forth conversation about it, like a couple thousand words about it um and but and both of these the and, and and it seems like people are doing it you know less because the, uh, i don't know it seems like there's there's some more thought going into into this or more reasons behind people are mean or you know there's just there's you know twitter's stupid or there's a lot you know the signal to noise ratio is out um and certainly this you know we can tie this to 
Gamergate, we can tie this to the research that we're working on right now with uh, female sports reporters and kind of the, the stuff they deal with with from fans and readers on on social media. And and so I was thinking about the, you know, you know, I was th- I, I've been thinking about this a lot and kind of in my own use. And, you know, I, I, you know, Twitter is something that I use primarily for work and especially in teaching. You know, I teach an online journalism course. We're doing a Twitter unit this week. So. Um, but I've been thinking about, you know, my use of Facebook and, 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 and that. And, you know, you know, just, just trying to figure out, you know, now that these are, these platforms are like 10 years old now and they've kind of been such an established part of our digital lives so far. Just kind of, I, it, it, it's interesting every now and then I always find to kind of give a, to take stock in it and how I'm using it and how, you know, are these still serving a purpose for me? Or are they just kind of have it? You know, what, What's Facebook good for now? What's Twitter good for now? You know, Instagram, Snapchat, which I don't use, but I'm happy to talk about. Um, I don't know, just kind of like like the whole how we use social media professionally and personally and kind of tying it around, you know, you know, people leaving, which always makes me laugh because, you know, if you leave social media and don't write a think piece for medium on it, does it really count? (laughs) I don't think so. Um, Yeah, it's. It's it's really interesting, and I've I've got so many conflicted feelings on this topic, and and frankly, on social media in general. I mean, this is something that I do think about. I don't write think pieces for Medium about it, but you know, I'm sure the conversation will be asking my my opinion at any point here. Uh, absolutely, um, yeah. But um, so let me. I'm trying to think of how I should start this. So from the standpoint of the thought pieces themselves, and the the commentaries this to me i feel like anytime writers get exposed to large sections of humanity that they don't fully understand they it's like there's a there's a genetic predisposition to going into an existential crisis that has to be <laughs> solved by a 6000 word long read you know i mean right. that's and that's fine i mean we all have our crutches i guess my crutch would be a 2 hour podcast on it <laughs> um, you know but you know, I always I always start with the building block idea that I talk about in my class, and my class gets tired of hearing me say this, and I'm sure that the people on this podcast get tired of hearing me say this. But it's like social media is people. It is just it is it is a group of people who are interacting with each other online for a variety of purposes. And I think part of the issue that we run into with social media and Twitter in particular, Twitter is a particular. Um, I don't want to say problem child, but it is certainly it has it has its own particular elements that make it um, specifically problematic for these folks uh, that I'm referring to. It's you end up with a situation where you've got a bunch of people who are doing different things on there, and we try to project our own image of what society and and to some degree ourselves should be into others and most of the time you know in an interpersonal setting when you're with people at a bar or a restaurant or at your place of work or whatever you're able to pre-select i guess the people that interact with you the people that you interact with you don't really Mm -hmm. get a chance to do that on twitter 
you could be having a conversation or you could be talking about something and someone could say, well, I disagree. And we're not really programmed as human beings to deal with that. Normally, if we're, we're not going to voluntarily put ourselves in a position where people are going to be argumentative with us. We put ourselves in a position where we're surrounded by people who will, if, if, if not outright agree with this, at least will not tell us that we're full of shit right off the right. bat. And that's, you know, and there's... I'm not saying that happens all the time on Twitter, but the possibility of it happening occurs, particularly with writers who have somewhat of a national audience. And so, you know, I think there's a level of personal – it's weird because Twitter is a very impersonal medium. It's a very asocial or antisocial medium in many cases. Yeah. But people – the real-time nature of the responses, the fact that there's a picture attached to it, I think – personalizes what people would, would view as attacks on them in a way that, say, a letter to the editor or an angry call to uh, to your newspaper um, or magazine phone uh, number would never be able to do. Right. And, and I think a lot of that's the public nature of it. Like, it's one thing if somebody's criticizing you privately. It's another thing if they're criticizing you and everybody can see it. Right. So there's And, and to, to kind of tie in on that really quick, you know, I, I mentioned this in my class today. Yeah, you know, I think that that with social media, there's an expectation of a response from the from the audience. Right. Where you send a letter to the editor, you, you may get printed, it may not. You send an email, you know, it's the old story where you know I did this when I was a reporter too. You you email someone, you someone emails you a nasty email, and you actually write them back, and they're way toned down, and it's like, oh man, I was hot hot under the collar when I wrote that, you know, I was right. I was I was fired up, blah blah blah, and and all that. Maybe same thing on the phone, but. I, but uh, on social media, especially Twitter, like they expect you to respond. And if you and, and no matter how you respond, it, you know, it's one of the reasons my my rule in life is I don't argue with people on the Internet because it just there's it it it, it, it does tend to kind of snowball really quickly. And, you know, if you don't, re, you know, you know, for writers, you know, I, I I sympathize with reporters in this way that you're in a lot of ways, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. You're damned if you do respond because then you get sucked in and then you're arguing with people people on the Internet, and that just doesn't win. But if you ignore people, then w what are you doing on this medium which is actually built around the idea of interacting with readers and interacting with the public? Sure. So. And that's – and I guess that's where the next phase of my thought comes in. I, I am torn to some degree by the idea of, okay, here we have, for the first time really in human history, a completely open channel of communication with basically no filters where anybody can talk to anybody and anybody's opinion is just as important as anybody else's because there's no prioritization in the network. That's, to me, an amazing tool. It's something that could generate incredible things. And I think it it, it, it does generate incredible things. It, it gives people ideas of things that they might not even know exist without that. But right. um, but there's also a lot of negative to it because people are mean on Twitter because they're mean right. to other people. Now, that to me isn't as huge of a deal, uh, just to me personally, because mm -hmm. people have been mean to other people since the dawn of time. Right. And you know, I, I really think it comes back to being able to control the number of people who are watching somebody else be mean to you. Uh, I think that's where a lot of the, the trepidation about how Twitter works comes in. I mean, look, the, there's there's an exposure to the human condition that I think Twitter provides that maybe puts us in a position where we don't like what we see. 
and and that does trouble people, and it makes people think, well, Twitter's awful because, you know, one of the things I often hear is Twitter's awful because it's just a bunch of trolls, it's a bunch of people who don't know what they're talking about, it's a bunch of people getting offended, like the one piece that you forwarded said, mm-hmm. and... You know, it's just not a fun place to be, particularly if you're a person that's at all uh, a celebrity or popular. Um, but I don't like the alternative any 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 greater than that. You know, and this this idea that oh well, we need to make Twitter a, a safer place to be or a less volatile place to be. Like to me, I, I'm not a fan of that. Um, I would rather have the bad with the good because I think what you end up doing if you're censoring what people are saying, even if what people are saying is awful, uh, the idea that if you're censoring what people are saying or you're, you're blocking, like the, the service is blocking people from talking, now you're creating a, a very sterilized environment that doesn't promote any sort of a free interaction of thought. And I think we've got enough things blocking that in society and in the world today that like you don't need it in this particular space. So, but, um, but what, what about if we, when we get into areas of threats, well, and like the area in the area that we're studying, which is female sports reporters mm-hmm. for, for the people who don't know. So the p- female sports reporters, like there's the, the incident with Julie, the incidents with Julie DeCaro in yep. Chicago. Um, this is very similar to if you're familiar with what's been going on in Gamergate and the doxing situation, yep. situations that female reporters there. Um, because I, I, I get what you're saying. And yes, you don't want to censor because then you, you know, you censor the bad, then you censor the good and, 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 and that. Um, but you know, then you, then you can, we, we, but you know, especially Twitter now in the past year, I think that's, I don't think a lot of these articles are hitting on that. I think what you're you're saying is more accurate with these. But I think there is this kind of undercurrent of, well, there's a lot of not just bad stuff as in people being mean or people being, you know, saying you don't like my column and you called me name. But like out and out harassment, like out and out absolute harassment and threats and, you know, how do you. So I'm asking you, you know, asking you, how do you kind of balance the openness of, of of a social platform when this, some things like this are happening on it. Well, I mean, I think you balance it the same way you balance um, things that happen in in a normal like person to person situation. You know, I mean, obviously, if if there's a threat, I think the threat has to be evaluated for okay, is this a serious threat? Is this something where the person is actually in danger? And then, of course, you obviously take action as a result of that. Um, you know, but to some degree, I feel like in the digital space, we're 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 moving more and more towards this idea that if we don't, if we see something that we find distasteful or that we don't like or that someone construes as a threat, that the automatic response is, well, that person needs to go away. Like that person needs to be removed from the service. Um, and I don't know if that's necessary. I've thought a lot about this. and I don't know if that necessarily solves anything because, um, because A, I think what you do is you create an environment where you don't actually establish a legitimized way of be- of behaving. Like a lot of what we do in society is based upon social norms and this conceptualization of, okay, I'm not going to say this to this person. Um, and, and even if I do say this to this person, um, it, it's obvious that 
I'm not going to get in, I'm not going to actually do what I say that I'm doing. I mean, we do investigate people for threats. The number of people that are actually getting arrested, uh, for simply verbally threatening somebody on a person to person basis is actually relatively low. Right. Um, you know, and, and I think that, um, you know, if you, you, you were fine looking at it from that perspective, when we take it to the digital realm, I almost feel like we're overemphasizing potentialities in the digital space at times, uh, <laughs> because they're more visible, uh, even if they are far less likely to be as threatening as something that's happening in person. Okay. Uh, it's, it's an odd sort of thing, and, and it's something that, you know, I don't know. I, I wrestle with what the answer is. I mean, I, I guess the the you know if the argument is well, we need to police these things. How do you police them? I mean, other than simply blocking the person from the communication medium, I don't see where like where you're actually able to do anything about it. And you know as well as I do that blocking somebody from Twitter lasts as long as it takes for them to start up another Twitter account. Uh, right. You know, and just, you know, get going again. I mean, it's not that I don't think it's simply I don't think it's as simple as just snapping one's fingers and saying, OK, this has got to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, and so that's 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 part of it. And that's something that I'm still working through individually. But I I do feel uncomfortable with the knee jerk reaction of saying, you know, we need to shut down this type of communication because I, I don't think that that's really plausible at this point. Okay. So, I'm, so I, I mean, I've also been thinking about this, this idea about the social media use, not just on kind of like the, this big kind of macro level, but also more on a, you know, where are these platforms fitting in for me every day? And, you know, yeah. moving, moving beyond the, you know, I shouldn't dick around on Facebook as much as I do because I've got work to do. Um, um, and, and, you know, kind of separating, you know, it's funny to think about that in that way because I'm separating out, you know, am I, am I, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I think I was listening to a podcast, um, uh, recently and they were talking about, you know, it's instructive to kind of look at why you're going to these, these, these platforms, you know, it's, it's, it, in a sense, not just the let's quit Twitter and delete the apps off your phone and off right, your iPad right, right. and, and all that. And, you know, kind of really kind of get a sense like, well, why am I going to this? What am I getting out of it at this time? And, you know, I tend to be a big uses and gratifications theory guy, and I kind of I, I I tend to really like that idea of like, well, we're going to this for something. We get something out of it. We get sure. a use. We get a gratification out of it. Based, you know, grad school one hundred and one. Um, and so I and so I've been thinking a lot, a lot about that just kind of personally, and you know what what I get out of Facebook and what I get out of Twitter, and I don't have the 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 animus toward Twitter that so many that is seems to be popular right now. Um, Twitter, you know, I, I, I've always kind of man, I don't know, maybe it's just, I've always managed to kind of keep that professionally and not being as active a writer as I was when I was a newspaper guy, obviously changes that a little bit, changes right. that, that, that thing. Um, and, 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 you know, and, and, you know, like you do in teaching students, you know, seeing the social platforms they're using and kind of how how they approach social in a very different way than we do is I'm I, I'm fascinated. I think my students always get confused when I ask them, like, how are you guys using Twitter? How are, what are you doing on Snapchat? And it's not a quiz question. Like, I'm genuinely curious to sure. see what you're doing and, and, and how I'm not. And it's always fascinating how how few of my students um 
are very active on Twitter. It's very, it's a very wow. low number. Um, and you know, I know, you know, Facebook, you know, I, I almost don't count Facebook just because it's like almost like a Google situation at this point. Like, right. like you're on Facebook because you're on Facebook. That's just, it's almost a tautology. Um, but you know, the, ins- but, but you know, the, the, you know, you know where the trends are. They're Instagram, they're Snapchat, they're photos, they're a lot less public and more kind of, you know, right. Less that social network where you're broadcasting it and more I'm showing, sharing this with, 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 with a select group of people. Yeah. Um, well, and look, I think, I think, you know, it's interesting because when I, when I hear my students talk, they, they actively manage their communications based upon the perceived audience that they have on each of the mediums. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, Snapchat is, you know, is treated very differently than Instagram, is treated differently yes. than Twitter. And, you know, I think that, you know, kids aren't, kids are pretty smart about this. Mm-hmm. Like they really, they really grasp that we're in a world where the, the medium that you're using is, is very important to the overall message that you're trying to send. And, um, you know, within that though, I think that what you end up with is a situation where certain, certain media come and go in popularity. I mean, Twitter's big issue right now is that everybody's talking about how Twitter is no longer the place to be. It's a very difficult spot to be in. Right. And, you know, I mean, part of that, there was a, there was a really, I think an interesting article. I think the, it was, it might've been the Atlantic, uh, that talked about how, you know, the reason that Twitter, Twitter isn't a failure, but everybody's acting like Twitter's a failure because it's not increasing its growth numbers. Like, right. And at some point, you have to look at Twitter and say, look, stop. It's like, you know, what is it? You know, it's like that old Mitch Hedberg quote, you know, where he walks into the deli section and he's like, you know, you know, I go to the, I go to the meat section and they got like, you know, turkey pastrami and turkey bacon and turkey ham. And he, he just, he's like, I want to just tell the turkey, be yourself, man. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's, it's that sort of thing where it's like Twitter, Twitter's fine. It's a messaging system. It's a public messaging system. It's, it's a great news and information source and it's a great place for people to kind of exercise their own version of two-step flow where you find uh, opinion leaders within a particular area, you hear what they have to say, and then you interact with the, the peer group that surrounds them. And mm-hmm. if people treated it just like that, and if Twitter was like, we're fine being this way, I think you'd have a perfectly serviceable thing. It's kind of like, it's got to be in the phone company of, of the 21st century. You know, I mean, no one, no one in the 60s and 70s was looking at the phone company and saying, you need to innovate because, you know, it was doing what it was supposed to do. Right. You know, but, but Twitter continues to mess with its algorithms. It continues to mess with the way it presents its tweets. It continues to mess with, you know, there's this thing now where, you know, they've, they've, they're, they're establishing these, you know, these organizations to kind of monitor the things that are being tweeted. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and I think that that, creates a problem you know i mean it's all of that when you put it together takes away from what it's what at its core was was a good service for what it did right. uh and i think that that's a problem that a lot of social media have is that the way that um the way that the the dot com business structure tends to work is that they want to keep pushing everything you know up and beyond and 
you know, at some point you have to find your level and you have to be like, okay, this is what we do. This is our core mission. We can, we can, um, you know, fine tune what we're doing, but we don't want to like drastically change. I mean, one of the things I respect about Facebook is they've added a lot of things, but at its core, Facebook is still pretty much doing what Facebook did in 2004. Right. You know, and, and Twitter, I think, is trying to get out of that. And I think that people realize that that's not a wise thing. Now, is that the reason that, that students aren't using it? No, I think students aren't using it as much because, um, it's, it doesn't you get on if you get on twitter and you're just a regular college age student there's not a whole lot there for you unless your peer group is already there that's true we yeah. had we had that i mean the reason that twitter was so popular among students in like 2010 2011 was that they had all had private accounts and there weren't a lot of people on there and now everybody's, you know, like all the business professionals are on Twitter and they're all like, okay, we need to see what's in your private accounts. Like, and you know, it's like, that's, that's not what they were using it for. They were using it as a personal communication medium. And that's what's happening with Snapchat. That's, mm-hmm. you know, that's what's happened with Instagram and, and something will happen with those probably that will cause the, the social dynamic to change. And then they'll move on to something else there too. Right. So yeah, I don't know. I, I I've never felt a strong desire to just walk away from social media because to me it's it's like saying I'm not going to talk for a year. You know, right. it'd be like saying, you know, I'm just I'm just not going to speak to other human beings for a year. We think you were a weirdo. Um yeah. you know, but, but with social media it's like, oh, here's a badge of honor. Uh oh, I'm not using social media this year. Like all these people on my Facebook time like I'm giving up Facebook for Lent. Right. Uh, something tells me that's you're not getting into the spirit of Lent if that's what you're giving up for, for right. Lent. But, you know, the, the the idea that there's some kind of badge of nobility that you are awarded because you stopped using social media to me illustrates a problem with the mentality that we have around communication where we're still prioritizing person to person communication over digital communication. Right. Uh, and I, you know, I have a problem with that and I have a, and you know, and I guess, you know, you're, you're always going to have people who, have a different methodology of using social media or, or any sort of communication than you do. And, Mm um, I don't know. I mean, I think that that's, that's something that people don't like the people who are making a big show of not being on social media. One of the core complaints they always seem to have is I just can't take the negativity or these people are just annoying or, you know, this or that. And it's like, it's basically a bunch of different ways of saying, I don't like hearing from people that I haven't pre-screened, uh, to kind of accommodate my belief system. And, right. and that, I don't know if that's any healthier. Like, yeah. is, is, is that, are you really doing yourself much of a favor in that case? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, a lot, lot of, lot of thoughts on this. Um, you know, I, 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 I do always chuckle when I have friends who give up Facebook for lunch too, because yeah, that's not, I don't know if that's, you know, totally in, in, in the spirit of it. And, and, you know, yeah, I've never, you know, I've given, you know, wistful thoughts of, of walking away from social media. But yeah, it's just, you know, it seems like such a, you know, overly dramatic step for something. And like, you know, I know my, my, my mother-in-law and my mom like seeing when I post pictures of, of my daughter, of my kid on Instagram or on Facebook. And like, hey, that actually, you know, legitimately is a good thing for them. They like seeing that, you know. Family and thing, and like stuff, it brightens their day, you know, in a real way. So I'm like, okay, I can deal with that. Um, 
You know, a uh, couple interesting things. I'm putting in uh, the the show notes with this. There's a really great episode of This American Life a few months ago. It was in November. And they talked to a couple couple of teenage girls. I forget how, how where in the teens they were. Early teens. I think 13 or 14. And they, they talked about how they use Instagram and, like, how they um, – like what their comments mean to each other. Cause I have young, younger cousins, early teens, and I see how they use Instagram and it is inscrutable to me how they use it. Like it is, I, I don't, I, it's like watching a foreign flick where I don't li- speak the language. <laughs> and, um, and, and they really explain it. Like, like you like every photo that you see your friends post. Like it's just like kind of social convention. It's what you do and all the social norms to go in. It's, it's a really great little, I don't know, maybe about a 10 minute segment of the This American Life at the beginning. But it's really interesting to kind of hear how the, how they use it and how the social norms are developing and how they use it. Um, it's interesting you mentioned the, uh, the, the digital communication. Um, cause I was reading a while ago, Sherry Turkle's most recent book. I think it's called The Conversation or the Conversations or something like that. And she is a very much an advocate of face to face communication yeah. and, um, and, um, and, and what I always, and, and what I'll give her credit on this, this is, uh, what I'll give her credit on this is I never liked in her writing how she favored face-to-face interaction over digital and never explained why. Now, in the book, she gives a lot of evidence and a lot of research that face-to-face communication, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, promotes more empathy than digital conversation. Um, I great eye roll. That was fantastic. Um, I have my my wife. My wife loves my eye rolls. By the way, I I have not studied this enough or read enough about in in this area to know how valid that that is. So I'll take it as read that 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 that's a concern, and that and that was at least to me. Okay, it sucked me in a little bit. Like okay, I okay, you got me a little bit, as opposed to the just. Her general writing, a lot of times I would see, and a lot of this would be, you know, face to face is better, and you never actually say why. Right. Um, but I, but I don't know. I just, you know, part of me thinks like, yes, of course, face to face is good in a lot of ways, but you know, we're, you know, it, it, it's such a torn. I, I, I feel so torn, both professionally, personally, and you know, with my with my daughter. Of, are we? Are we? Are we living in the world that we wish what existed, or are we living in the world that actually does exist? You know, you know, yeah, I know, you know, you know. Yeah, so it's so it's you know, you know, digital communication is here. Like it's not going away. We're not going to all of a sudden go back. You know, she was actually this is funny. Sherry Circle I saw on probably her Twitter feed, um, which is funny that she tweets. Uh, let's put that out there. But um, <laughs> she she also was doing an ad for like this. Like two hundred and fifty dollar, basically dumb phone. Like it, it's this whole thing that you know. It's like you know, basically, you know, you buy a phone and it's only a cell phone. It's not a, it's not a smartphone. Um, and it's supposed to like promote this lifestyle. And I looked at that, and my wife and I were looking at each other like, why don't you just go buy a fifteen dollar burner phone at Walmart? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. Um, but it doesn't have the, you know, the lifestyle attached to it. Um, but you know, and so much of this, so much of this, you know, in kind of managing social media, you know, my, my rudimentary knowledge of Buddha, uh, of like general Buddhism and mindfulness, but it is just kind of like, you know, managing the, the, you know, the expectations on it and kind of understanding like what it's there for and what you expect out of it. Um, and, and yeah, I think, and I think that's the issue is that 
people don't know what to expect out of it. And right. they don't understand how the thing works. They don't understand the societal environment mm-hmm. that they're entering. And so a lot of times they'll be disappointed. They won't take the time to learn about the interactions. Um, you know, look, I, there's there's bad things that happen on social media, but there's also a tremendous amount of good things that happen on social right. media. And I guess that's going back to the the thing I was saying earlier when you were talking about, well, what about when there are threats or things like that? I mean, look, those happen and those have to be dealt with in, the, in from the perspective of, OK, someone says something. You, you investigate the person and you see if there's a credible threat. And if it's not a credible threat, you probably don't. I don't know if you do anything about it. Right. If there's a credible threat, you obviously do something about it. Um, but the the idea that it's only bad things that are happening on social media is just – it's such a tired narrative. It's just something yeah. that's drilled into people's heads over and over again, into kids' heads over and over again. You know, I've, got, I've got a class of you know, 19, 20, 21-year-olds, and I asked them about social media use, and you know, almost all of them basically said that their parents have painted social media as a place where bad things happen. And, mm-hmm. you know, to me, that's so depressing because, you know, you obviously need to have people on guard. But if you're only telling your kids, you know, if you're only telling your daughter, you know, be careful for predators and strangers online, then and that's all you're equipping her for. Right. Then you're basically making it so that she might as well not be online. You know, yeah. and, I, and I think that the the ability of the human race to interconnect on social media has so many potential positive benefits for you know for everything from learning about new concepts and ideas to learning about other cultures to learning about political or religious or or you know belief systems that that you just aren't exposed to you know i mean as mm-hmm. as a kid that grew up in the midwest you know i mean i had some pretty you know intelligent parents who exposed me to some ideas and concepts that probably a lot of my classmates in elementary school weren't getting. But, you know, when, when, when my brain really took a leap was when I got uh, a subscription to CompuServe, which is one of those early, like yep. precursor to the worldwide web sorts of things, you know, and I'm 12 years old and I'm, I'm exposed to all of these people from all over the country who had all kinds of different things that they thought were interesting and they would talk about them in these message forums and I would get to see that. And it's like, you know, that is so valuable, not just to a 12 year old kid, but to a 35 year old, you know, woman or man. I mean, it's, it's, it gives your brain such an, an opportunity for expansion and, You know, and that's where, you know, Sherry Turkle can talk all about, oh, well, you know, face-to-face increases empathy. Well, I would argue that digital increases intelligence. All right. You know, I mean, the, the, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is the vast majority of people surround them, their persons, their, their, their physical beings with people who, after a short period of time, end up not offering them anything new. You know, it's mm-hmm. why it's why going to college is such a unique experience because you're exposed to all of these new people and all of these new things that you haven't been exposed to before. But then yeah. as you get older, the number of new things and new people that you're exposed to subsides progressively until right. by the time you're you're our age, you know, you've probably had the same friends that you hang out with. You've probably had the same 
you know, the, you know, the, the people that you talk to on a regular basis, that probably isn't changing much at this point. Right. But, but online, now you're exposed to all of these other things. And I think that, you know, that's the element of social media that we leave out so often is that right. every day I can go on Twitter or I can go on Facebook and I can be exposed to something different, somebody different, right. somebody that I don't know as well. Maybe I have a passing knowledge of them, but, you know, I'm able to per- per- potentially engage them in a way that I wouldn't be able to if I was just <laughs> dealing with the same people that were around me physically. And, right. you know, I, to me, it's just, it's such a waste when I see people saying, I'm not going to use social media anymore because there are mean people on it. I, right. I mean, th- all you're doing is cutting yourself off from the voluminous numbers of good people who are also on there because there's a couple right. of people that are saying mean things or threatening things. And I'm not excusing those people, but I also don't think that you, you know, the 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 baby here is huge, and there's not much water in the bath. Right. And well, I and I find it funny too that you know, you know, what 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 I found was it, it, it's such a great social media practice. Sometimes it's just lurking for a little bit. You know, just like just because somebody says something that you may disagree with doesn't mean you have to respond and 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 and. And, yeah. and, and talk to them on it. You know, you can, you know, one of the best things that, you know, I can, that keeps me on Twitter, that keeps me from ever cutting the cord is it's my news service, you know, yeah. and now, you know, there are great aggregation tools out. Flipboard in the, in the past, Nuzzle is great now to where you can, you know, kind of see the good, the, the great ideas and things people are sharing without kind of, you know, getting lured into the discussions and kind of sucked into, you know, people's opinions on it and kind of having that their 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 opinions shape your point of view and kind of get drawn into you know yeah into that um and i just and and you know same with it it connects to facebook and same with facebook as well um so so are you on snapchat i have a snapchat account i uh, I have former and current students that that include me sometimes on their snaps i don't use it as much because i don't really I don't have a huge amount to say in that particular medium. I mean, mm-hmm. I understand how it works. I understand the uh, the compositional elements of it, but it, it I don't need to communicate with people that way. Yeah. Um, but I don't have a problem with people that do. No, I, I, I'm similar. I was just curious. I'm similar with with that. I have the app. I think I have an account. Um, but yeah, it, it's just you know, it's kind of like I don't need another thing that I sh- I feel like I should be checking every day. Um, I have enough of those and, you know, yeah, you know, I also know that that's not, you know, meant for me and how old I I am. I don't don't think you should say it that way. I mean, because these are moving goalposts like, you know, the like Twitter wasn't originally meant for you and. And then it was, you know, mm-hmm. Facebook was originally meant for you and you could make an argument now that it's not because it's an even older demographic that's right. the average user. You know, I mean, I, I think all of these things have value and I think that overly compartmentalizing them based upon a demographic that will likely grow up with the people that are currently using it. You know, like I use Instagram all the time. Uh, you know, that's 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 a fun medium. I actually like Instagram a great deal. And I'm Instagram's certain- prep. It's probably my favorite right now of yeah. all the things. You know, and, and that's just as far out of your target, out of the, you're, you're just as far out of their target demographic as you are for Snapchat. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I guess it is more a, I just don't need another thing to, 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 I think, to check. And that's, 
and and that's and no, that's, and that's much. That's pretty much how I feel too. Like I don't, I don't use Snapchat because I'm already doing things on three other social media networks. Right. It's like I don't need a fourth right now. But I enjoy seeing other people's snaps. I mean, I find those things funny at times. Sometimes they're downright hilarious. Sometimes they're inter- they're informative. Mm-hmm. Um, now there was something I was going to mention on this, and I kind of I keep losing my train of thought. Um, but you know, look. I, when when we're dealing with these things, I think we we have to keep in mind that oh, I remember what I was going to talk about. One of the reasons I like Snapchat is that it is okay. Let me let me approach this from a different angle. One right. of the problems I think with Twitter, and I think this is really this is the thing that they could do that would actually improve. Twitter more than anything else. I think that the brevity of the messages, which has always been seen as like the core strength of Twitter, actually contributes to the awful atmosphere sometimes that you get on Twitter. Because, Uh you know, so much of Twitter is based upon acting cooler than somebody else. You know, making somebody – it's like the Jordan meme. You know, it's like – no, it's like – it's – it's not just that the picture is is funny, which I guess is debatable, but it's like it's like now it's like who can photoshop it onto something and then put the picture up and right. and that becomes like a, a you know the kind of the digital cultural currency that you mm-hmm. carry in there, or you know it's it's you know uh, clipping out quotes and point you know that that makes somebody look like an idiot and having those up i mean <clears throat> the glibness of Twitter. I think creates an unwelcoming environment because yes. it 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 biases the cultural capital of conversation towards people who think in that particular manner and it also reduces most arguments to one-liners which if you can argue something in a one-liner it'll probably sound good even if you're wrong Right. Uh, and so I would actually love, I think, and I've gone fully 180 on this, but I would love to see Twitter just blow away the 140 character limit. And I think that that would actually change the entire dynamic and tone of Twitter for the better because it would no longer mean that your effectiveness on Twitter is basically how well you can imitate a New York Post headline writer. All right. Interesting. Um that's fascinating. I mean, one interesting thing, you know, I read an interview that, uh, the CEO of Snapchat or the, I don't know if he was CEO, but one of their head guys gave, uh, at USC a year ago and it really stuck with me. It was the idea at how Twitter promotes by its, by its, you know, the constraints and, and the, the format of the platform. It promotes really horrible news habits because it promotes kind of like the hot take, the snap judgment. It promotes the, 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 the idea of speed over everything else. So, you know, you know, no, lack of verification of information, all the stuff we always talk about. And it promotes, uh, clickbait. So it promotes the, you won't be, you know, you won't, you won't, you, you won't believe what happened, what, what happened with Kesha and Taylor Swift today. And it kind of promotes the, that, those, those kind of poor habits. Um, and I have to say the one thing I love about, I, I do love when I check in, into Snapchat. Is the discover tab right. where, where um and and to see what ESPN and and Comedy Central and a lot of these you know kind of I mean they're big media corporations but how they're using this form this platform is it is really really interesting to me 
And um, again, just, you know, from a news perspective, thinking, you know, different ways we can package and, you know, move beyond an article or a link or a headline as as the the, the default currency or the default um, yeah, I platform don't th- of news. And I don't think that's a Twitter thing. Okay. I think I mean because because those, those those I, those clickbaity things are perhaps even more effective on Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it's easy to blame Twitter for that because of the the you know Twitter taught us we needed to be short with things, but Facebook's taught us that that shortness works pretty much everywhere. Right. I, I just think it's the ease of of going somewhere and the idea that you know. If I see something that looks like it might be interesting to me, I'm, I, you know, now I can just click a button and I can be taken there. And, you know, that's, that's not something I think, I don't lay that solely at the feet of social media. Social media is a great delivery system for those things because it populates organically through, uh, you know, through trees of friends and friends of friends and, and personal inner, you know, interconnections rather than what it used to do, which was populate through a media organization that you had to externally access. So, right. you know, it used to be all that shit went in the National Enquirer or went in like, you know, Cosmopolitan or something like that. And you had to actually physically buy the magazine or the tabloid in order to be able to access that information. And that naturally pre-selected a number of people out mm-hmm. of that process because they weren't going to do that. Well, that, that's been erased now. And now, you know, what is in effect a Cosmo brief or, or a National Enquirer brief just pops up automatically in your Facebook page or if you're following the right people on your Twitter account. But that's, that's not really social media's fault. That's more people's fault. But, Okay. Because people are interested in that stuff. We may hate it. We may look at it and say, this is stupid. Why am I reading about the fucking Kardashians again? But the fact of the matter is we're reading about them again because you're interested. You you may not be, but your aunt is and you're friends with your aunt and you're and by virtue of that, it pops up in your Facebook feed. So what we're really watching is an illustration of, you know, we thought in the mass media era that we had perfected the advancement of the human mind, that people were really interested in the important things that were going on, and we were really moving the populace forward. And what we've discovered is that we're still a bunch of ingrates, we're, you know, by and large. like We're still a population full of people who only really care about gossiping about other human beings. And that's like, that's a primary social desire. It's a primary gratification for media use. But that's not, none of this is new. It's just like what social media did was it ripped the facade off of the mass media era that we had built up for 40 years. Well, and, and it, 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 you know, it accelerated it to a degree, to, to a huge degree. So it's faster. It's moving a lot. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking through my Twitter stream right now as we talk and, and, you know, just to kind of get that, get the sense of you have it, it because somebody said this to me once, everything on Twitter, the, the challenging thing about it is that it all comes across at the same volume. So everything like you and I tweeting about, I don't know, something has the same volume as CNN breaking news alert. Like it all, you know, everything just appears on, on your feed in the same way. There's no, you don't have that mass media of breaking news on the TV or the, the giant headline in the paper. It's all, you know, it all, it, it all just kind of comes across. Generally speaking, it well, all kind of comes across. You know, okay. there are differences on it. But, and, and, um, and I've just lost my train of thought, so go ahead. I, I don't agree with that. 
Um, okay. Now, I, here, here's the thing. I, I think that from a media professional's perspective, we argue that because we're used to having our voices more prominent than the average person's voice. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and that's that's fine. And that, that has been the way that it's been for, you know, the last hundred and so years. But I actually I don't think everything comes across at the same volume because it's not that one voice is any more powerful than the next. It's okay. that when some when news happens, when news when breaking news happens, when the Boston Marathon bombing happens, or when something else happens, m- the volume of tweets, the number of tweets, mm-hmm. increases, and that's what comes across. Okay. And so you end up with a situation where it's not an individual account or an individual outlet that starts getting a more attention paid to it simply because it has a louder volume. It's that the number of people talking about something draws your attention to what's happening. And so okay. I think it's the same methodology. I just think we're getting there a different way. And it's actually more democratized because it's like the Ferguson stuff. You know, the the if you if we were relying on the traditional volume controls, we wouldn't have even known half the stuff that was going on during the Ferguson riots. But because okay. because Twitter, you know, was able to capture all these live leak videos the independent journalists were putting out, you know, during the, the, the standoffs between the police and the protesters, we were looking at that and we were like, wow, I didn't realize this was going on and I certainly wouldn't have known if I'd had to rely on CNN or whoever <laughs> to tell me that it was there. Right. Yeah, and well, and, and one of the other things that I, I find funny too is when you talk about w- ripping away the facade, is it was interesting when you would have, you know, the gossip that was in the National Enquirer or the supermarket tabloids, and how that was, you know, thinking about this now, how very separate that was. Like it was, you know, in the, in, you know, it was in the certain spot in the in the uh, in the supermarket. You know, it was right by the checkout, and it was the, the, the special kind of paper. It was like the, uh, you know. The show, like the, I don't know, forget, blanking on the names, the shows that are on like 5.30 at night before the local news. Not not Access Hollywood, but like the precursor to the... Current Affair? Yeah, 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 those. Those are always on at like 7 o'clock. Okay, so either, yeah, either between the sandwiching around local news and Wheel of Fortune. Exactly. Uh, um, But it was very interesting because you would have those very separate from... You know, air quotes, real journalism. You know, the local paper, the local daily, the local news, the CBS News. And now you look at, you know, pick your pony, pick, you know, Twitter, pick, pick Facebook, but it's all mixed together. Like I have, like, you know, a Wesley Lowry tweet, tweet about something about Black Lives Matter and, you know, scroll down to all these reviews on the X-Files finale. And they're all within one minute of each other. And it, and so it, t- it does kind of take away that, you know, it, 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 you know, it's one of those things where I think you're right. I think the kind of pop culture, tabloid ephemeral ephemerality feels more in our face now because now it's it's all mixed together and we don't have it's not that separate this is right. the real news this is the this is the, the tabloid news now we're seeing it all together and you can kind of see that the tabloid stuff is very popular because it's easy to read it's mindless like i'll click on a, a, a listicle that george takei stole from reddit or some george takei posted that somebody stole from reddit on something and i'll click on that you know, in five minutes of downtime, because it's easy to read and it's a nice, you know, you know, I can read that. That's a click. Dist- that's an easy distraction. That's an easy, mindless thing to look at. And now we now, but but and of course, what makes it interesting is now once you click on one of those, thanks to the algorithms, now you're going to be getting those in perpetuity. 
Right. Um, and, and, and so kind of, you know, you're, you're right. Social media are people, you know, it, it's, it, it's accelerated. It's kind of louder. It's kind of probably more in your face. And because it's so data driven too, I think we, you, again, you lose that facade. You like, you can't argue what's popular and what's not anymore. Like we know what's popular and that's not always what we want it to be or maybe what it should be, you know, for, you know, civic discourse or, you know, good conversation or good journalism. But, you know, we know what's popular right now. And, you know, you're right. It's people. It's, you know, what we're you can't get away from that. Let me let me throw one last thing at you before we go. I know we've been going a little long here, but um, you familiar with Clay Shirky? Yes. So did you see the little tw- Twitter rant he went yes. on a couple of days ago? I just read that this evening. Yes. Okay. So you know this is a, so for those who haven't seen this, like his argument is basically that you know for years we've been asking about whether uh, a third political party could come in and and make a dent in a presidential election, and his argument is that what we're actually seeing right now is that taking place where uh, a third political third like third party political candidates have basically in the case of the republicans hijacked the par- the party apparatus and in the case of the democrats with bernie sanders um have at the very least you know put the the process of you know coronating hillary clinton into some doubt and it's and it had nothing to do with them like mounting a third party run under like the libertarian ticket or like creating an independent socialist ticket or something like that. Instead, it was simply utilizing social media to mobilize people to utilize their voices and and basically mobilize what they were doing in support of their particular candidate in a way that nobody saw coming. And and that this is now going to be the norm in in politics because people have figured out that they can organize far better this way than they ever could organize in traditional grassroots politics. Right. Right. And, 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 and it's a fascinating, it's like a 50 tweet rant or something like yeah. that. It's not even a rant. It's a blog post that he posted in, fi- by, in 50 in, tweets, in 50 tweets rather than on his blog. And I don't know why he did that, but he's Clay Shirky. He's, he, he's, you know, he's, very smart and very very he's a very interesting thinker on a lot of this uh, on a lot of new media things and, and he lays it out really interestingly how it went from ross perot he ties it back to ross perot and uh-huh. and how he was able to use cable tv to kind of break that that first kind of mass media hegemony on through howard dean on through obama and now to to trump and sanders um and and, and it is it is fascinating to see you know the um I mean, let's be honest, Donald, you know, we won't we won't talk, necessarily talk too much politics on this episode. We'll get to it later, I'm sure. But, you know, Donald Trump's candidacy is basically his Twitter feed. I mean, basically right. his Twitter feed made him a potential candidate, which is why I laughed so hard when he wanted to shut the Internet down, flip the switch and turn the Internet off on ISIS. Right. Because basically without doing that, he doesn't have a campaign. Right. But you, know, you saw that. And, you know, you know, for good or bad, you know. But, you know, that 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 made this possible. And it is, you know, the the, you know, the one kind of sacred one of the one kind of sacred institutions in America really is the two party political system for the last however many hundred years, you know, hundred so years. Um, And, you know, you know, is this the last kind of social institution that starts to crumble under, you know, with the with the emergence of digital and social media and. It's 
interesting to see if it really does, you know, whether it's a full on third or multiple party system or just, you know, the kind of very niche, for lack of a better word, niche kind of candidates and, you know, being able to, you know, where you don't have the party decides theory that Nate Silver has been writing about for months on 538. Right. Um, and, you know, really from that point of view, as maddening as a lot of this, a lot of campaign coverage can be, it is fascinating to see this unfold like it is. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's very illuminating and it, it, it illustrates a societal shift, which I think, you know, we, we probably should have seen coming for a while, which, you know, prioritizes a splintering of, of interests into much smaller groups. You know, I mean, look, the, the two party system has been around in its current format, you know, from what, 1856. Uh, well, not really though, because, you know, you had, the Bull Moose Party yeah, with, with Roosevelt. Well, and, right, and before that, you had the you know the progressive uh, the progressive movement and their kind of machinations. I mean, this isn't the first time we've seen this happen, but in the mass media era, that was the most stable element of the two party system that we've seen. And right. so to watch it unfold and kind of unpack itself so rapidly is jarring. But it's right. also you know it's it also probably. It was probably due, and I don't know. If, I don't know what we're going to eventually see in this election, but it certainly makes 2020 even more yeah. interesting because then you know a, a larger, a much larger percentage of the population is going to be getting their information from social media. Mark Cuban's written about this too, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like um, endorsements aren't nearly as effective. Like traditional endorsements aren't nearly as effective as getting a blogger or some kind of opinion leader online to endorse a person because that actually galvanizes interest that then spreads downward. You know, I mean, that's that's the big thing. Absolutely. So. So anyway, we've gone way over time and I was late today, so I apologize. Uh, But hey, the great conversation is always. Absolutely. And. Thanks to so all you. Go ahead. Thank please. you. Yep. Thanks for listening. We are going to try to hopefully be, this will be on iTunes and the Google Play Store. I'm going to be working on that this week. So hopefully, aside from checking us out at uh, at our usual home at, on my blog, I've kind of claimed our, our the home of the, the home of the podcast. Yes. Uh, but sportsmediaguy.com, you can get us on Twitter, and hopefully we'll be in iTunes and Google Play this week. We'll keep our fingers crossed. Yes. All right. So we'll all right. Uh, talk to you folks later. We'll catch you on the flip side. So long, everybody.